Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning as we continue the series that I have entitled Walk as Children of Light. It's a study of the book of Ephesians. We are nearing the conclusion. Paul is getting his last, uh, sort of his last round in, his, his uh, tying things together. And uh, really what he's, what he's doing is he's uh, t- told us as we walk through the beginning of the book of some things we should believe about God and about ourselves and how we sort of fit into the whole picture, how we fit into the picture with each other. Um, uh, who we are as a church, as a people called out to follow Jesus Christ. And then he says, here's what you should believe, but here's some things that should take place in your life because of that belief. Uh, that's really important, by the way. Uh, it's some place that we have as, a, uh, maybe not us personally, although it's probably been true for us too, but as a church, broadly speaking, is the place we tend to probably fall down uh, more than any other places. We, we can study and try to have all the right ways of thinking about God and who God is and who we are, but we, we forget that that's, or we are not so good at letting that work itself out in us because it, it, that bumps up into those things where we want to do something different. It really has to do with our message today because it's where our hearts are at and what our hearts want to do. doesn't matter how many times you hear that you shouldn't do that. If your heart wants to do that, it's going to follow and, and find some way to justify it or it's just going to ignore what God wants even when you know it. This is the experience we have living as our lives, right? I, I don't think I'm alone in this. This is the experience we have living as believers is that we know lots of things that are right or wrong to do, right to do, wrong not to do, or we shouldn't do, but it really depends on where our heart's at, right? Whether we're going to walk obediently to that. And as, he, as, as moving through all that, I think this is his final way of saying, here's what I really want to say because that's the battle you're caught in. You should stand firm. There's going to be, you have an enemy. You should stand firm against the, the efforts of the devil, of Satan, who is going to come against you with deception. He's going to come against you trying to trip you up. He's going to come against you trying to, 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 to separate those things from what you, what you believe and what you do, or just to get you to say, I'm done with it, to be discouraged about having to walk on this journey of faithfulness, because, may I remind you, church, the bar is high, isn't it? The bar is really high to follow Jesus. It's not a low bar. It's not, it's not an easily achievable thing. If it would be, anybody and everybody would be doing it. I mean, come on. Now, unless you're totally hardened, unless you totally have, you're totally off into some other zone or planet, if I can use that phrase, if I give you the option of spending eternity forever and ever in the most incredible place of all, most of us would sign up for that. But it's difficult. It comes with choices that, have to, that we have to walk out, right? Well, we should stand firm. And last week we talked about the, that we covered the first half of verse 14. We're to stand firm having fastened on the belt of truth. And today we're going to cover the last half of that verse to say we should have the breastplate of righteousness put on. He said we should stand, therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, before we jump in, I just want to clarify or just want to, want to sort of set the tone uh, for what we're going to talk about. I want, to, want you to visualize real briefly as you think of a, 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 an ancient piece of armor called the breastplate, a front and a back of a rather rigid piece of metal that you're putting on. And I want you to think about that for a little bit and what it would be like to wear one of those. What do you think it would be like if you were uh, walking around or training or fighting in one of those pieces of armor like nonstop, day after day after day after day? What would that be like? What kinds of things are you imagining if you have this piece of armor on? 
Tell me some words that come to mind as you're imagining that. Cumbersome. Well, somebody said sweaty, I think. Sweaty. Sores. Heavy. So let me ask you this. The words you're using to describe that does not make it sound like something you would want to do. Like it kind of actually inhibits your movement, right? It's heavy. It's, it's, it's cumbersome. It, when you're trying to, to fight in a battle, or you're trying to run at or away from someone, it's probably not like the most, it's not what you would choose to put on, right? It's heavy. It, it, it might be causing some sores, some chafing going on. So then why are you wearing it? Why are you putting it on? What? Protection. You're putting it on because the benefits of it are outweighing the negatives of it, right? Because it's protecting some of the most vital organs you have, chief among them the heart, right? Think about it this way. If you lose the heart, nothing else matters, right? If the heart gets pierced in battle, nothing else matters. If the heart's gone, it doesn't matter what else you've protected or you've kept whole. Now, just stop for a little bit and go back and think of the phrase I just used and apply it to us spiritually. If you lose the heart, nothing else matters. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that statement, if you continue to think about it, is more and more true than you probably have thought about before. If the heart is lost and not protected, if the heart is gone, if the heart is dead, or if we could use a biblical phrase, if the heart is divided, nothing else matters actually. It doesn't matter how good you're keeping the arm protected or keeping your whole body together or how nice it looks or all those things. It doesn't matter. Which is why, let me bring two verses in for us this morning to kind of get us uh, off to a start here. Hebrews 12, 11, we're gonna try to work both angles of things I just said. Hebrews 12, 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That is exactly why soldiers wore those pieces of armor that were clunky and cumbersome and might have caused a few sores because a, a, a few ribs, a, lo, a few, few open sores along my, my armpit here is worth my heart being protected. <coughs> Discipline, though painful when it comes, not pleasant when it comes, will later yield a harvest of righteousness, a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Proverbs says this verse, you're probably familiar with this, Proverbs 4.23 says, we should keep our hearts with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Some translations say we should guard our hearts. We should protect our hearts. This is what the message is about. Last week, very importantly, very uh, strategically, Paul starts off with a belt of truth. We have to start with truth. We can get no other piece of armor in if we don't get the truth down, if we don't wrestle with the truth. Next piece of armor he talks about, I think is equally strategic and equally important in terms of it following right after for if we don't have the heart, it doesn't matter if you're keeping anything else protected. Our heart must be protected by the breastplate of righteousness. This is the piece of armor that Paul has picked out. Our breastplate of righteousness needs to come. 
is these words righteousness, our heart. We're going to bring all this stuff together today. By the way, that's this word righteousness. The Greek word is dikaiosune, which you don't need to know that word necessarily. It means to be have equity or righteousness or justification. Those are some biblical words. We're going to be talking about all of them. It doesn't matter if you know the, the fancy biblical words of that necessarily. It's okay if you do know them. But those are the things we're going to talk about. Whether we are justified, our hearts no, our need to be protected and the primary place of protection, the primarily, primary avenue uh, that we need to be worried about or place we need to worry about is whether our hearts are right with God. Plain and simple. Our hearts need to be protected and the place of primary importance is whether they are right with God or not. So, since we began with the belt of truth, we're going to keep that belt on firmly as we deal with the breastplate of righteousness. So let's talk first of all about the truth about our hearts. I don't think I'm in foreign territory. I've been your pastor for a number of years. Perhaps you're visiting with us today, so maybe this hasn't been true for you, but I, I'm not in foreign territory. I've talked with, with many of you, so I don't think this is going to be a shock to you or a surprise to you. But when we go to Scripture to find the truth about our hearts, I want to make sure you understand that it's not necessarily wildflowers and pretty things we're going to find. The Bible speaks much about our hearts, all kinds of places. There's all kinds of references. I have most of a page full at my, uh, my notebook back home that has just Bible references that speak about our hearts and, and what, about, what, what the truth is about our hearts. I'm not going to share all of them. I picked three of them today that I want to share with you. If you read your Bible carefully, you don't get very far into it, and you realize that there is a global flood of destruction where God is unhappy with his creation, and it's because of our hearts. Genesis 6-5 says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I should have said this up front. I'm assuming most of you got this, but I just want to clarify I gave you an example of a physical piece of armor, excuse me, that protects our physical hearts. We're not actually talking about our physical hearts in this message. We're not talking about that muscle inside of us that's beating and providing blood. We're using that as an analogy for that piece inside of us that is the very core identify, identifier of who we are and what we long for, our hearts. Of course, we know this is true, right? We use language all the time, like we're supposed to ask Jesus into our hearts, and it doesn't mean he's going into our, like, literal cardiac heart here. We mean that he were asking him into the very core center part of who we are. Our heart, get this, acknowledge this, agree with this, if you will. Our hearts, this is what God says about them. At that day, he said, they were wicked. They were, every Intention, every thought, every inclination of the heart was wicked, was only evil continually. Now, that, those are not pretty words. Those are not words that we can rest comfortably and say, hey, just look down inside of us and find the goodness that's there and live it out and the world will be a happy place. Guess what you find when you look deep down inside of our fleshly human hearts? You don't find peace you find selfishness. You don't find joy, you find discontentment. You don't find love, you find hate and envy and striving. It's not pretty. 
much as we would like to disassociate ourselves from that group of people back in Genesis chapter 6 and say, those awful people they had, they made so that God was unhappy and destroyed the entire world. But us, we just read a verse this morning. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you read Titus chapter 3, and it says that all of us were in those places where we've walked after flesh and death. We actually were working on memorizing verses that talked about that in Ephesians. It says, we all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the one who's working the sons of disobedience now, even still. All of us, those are our hearts. You know, Jeremiah didn't give us any wiggle room. He didn't give us a slight little open crack. We say, that's, you know, 95% of the hearts, but what about these five? He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. <laughs> desperately sick, friends. That's what it says about you and my hearts. I'm telling you, if we're going to deal with truth, if we're going to, I said this last week, we can't get to understand and put on the armor if we're not willing to accept God for who we, and say, God, remember what John, uh, John wrote? The testimony of those who follow Jesus is this, that they put their stake in the ground that says God is true. And this is what God says about us. Who can understand it? We can't understand it. This is the great folly of our culture, by the way. The great folly of our culture is that we think we know our own hearts. We think we can understand and discern our own hearts. We think we know what our hearts really want. We think we know our, that our hearts know what's really best for us. Scripture says that is categorically false. First of all, it says that our heart is deceitful. It's desperately sick. And then it says we can't understand it. I, does anybody know what the next verse says, by the way? The next verse says that God can, in fact, know our hearts. He's the one who searches and knows the intents of all of our hearts. You can't hide that from God. Isn't it kind of weird to you? Doesn't it seem kind of weird to you? Do you ever stop and think about this? It's kind of weird that God knows you and your desires and your intentions better than you know yourself. You see, we hold that out, don't we? Every time somebody says something to us, we say, Yo, you don't know what's really like in here. And they don't. But be reminded that you don't either. If it's one thing that I have seen to be true in my life over and over again, and I've seen to be true in the lives of other people that I interact with, is that we are so incredibly good sometimes at being deceived ourselves about what we want and what we think is right and what we think is true. Now that may leave us feeling a little unsettled. Jesus, by the way, I haven't read what Jesus said, and he actually agreed with everything that I've been saying so far. No surprise, because he didn't disagree with Scripture. In Matthew chapter 15, he says this. They were having a discussion. The Pharisees weren't very happy that his disciples weren't washing their hands, and they were saying they're going to get defiled. And he says this. He says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You could just keep naming. He gives us a list, but that's not exhaustive. You could name every sin that, that, that exists. Those come out of our hearts. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus agreed that what comes out of us that's sinful comes from our hearts. We're not painting a pretty picture, are we? And if I want to put the cherry, so to speak, on top of all this, 
Jesus, when he gave his great sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, he says this about us. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, at first glance, we've become so, uh, so trained or so, we know so much about the Bible. At first glance, you might say, well, yeah, of course, because those scribes and Pharisees were bad people. But I want you to be reminded that the scribes and the Pharisees were a group of people that were doing everything they could humanly possible to live right with God, to follow God's laws, to do all the things that they said, they, that they said, this is what God says, I have to do to be right with him, and I'm going to do it to the nth degree. They were making every effort to live right with God that they knew how to do based on their own strength. They missed some things for sure. I mean, they missed, they missed the whole point in some sense. But lest we write them off and say, well, that was them, I want you to see Jesus' statement is meant to do something in us and it's meant to leave us say, if this is true, <laughs> what hope do I have? If by my own efforts, if by every detail of my life, me making every thought very conscious that I have to do it this way because God said I have to do this, and every outward conformity and everything that I want to try to bring in my life to make myself right with God, if that leaves me short and saying I have no chance of entering the kingdom of heaven, what hope do I have? And I tell you, I think that's exactly where God wants us to go because he wants us to see that if that's the answer... Oh, that's the question. The answer is you don't have a hope until I provide one for you. You see, we can talk about the truth of our hearts, and it is a lot more fun to talk about the truth of right, about righteousness because the Bible speaks a lot about righteousness too. We know these things, I think. These are not new thoughts to us, but they're good for us to be reminded because this is where we find our defense. This is how we put on the armor is to know the truth about our hearts, that they're deceptive, they're wicked, they're evil. But God was not content to simply destroy us because of our wicked, unjustified hearts. God said, what I want to do in Ezekiel, he said, I want to give them, give you a heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God wants to do a heart change in us. He's not okay to say, well, your heart is evil and wicked, so I'm just going to destroy you. He says, I want to do something that changes that heart inside of you because I want to bring about a heart that honors me. I want to bring about a heart that loves the Lord their God with all of it, the whole heart and the whole soul and the whole might. This is what God is after. This is the truth about righteousness because this is the truth we have to receive. On our own, if we have the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, we have no hope, but there is a hope. There's a hope in Scripture given to us very clearly, and God lays it out over and over again. Again, I'm just going to pick out a couple of verses that help us clarify this. He's going to, he, long before Jesus ever came, he talked about how he was going to do it. Let me just read those verses because they fit in so well with this, mor this morning. I don't know if you've ever read these verses or thought about this in the context of, of uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and putting on the breastplate of righteousness. But in Isaiah chapter 59, God says this. He says, truth is lacking. Remember the belt of truth, we talked about it last week. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. 
the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. So he saw all the, the, the wickedness and the, there was no truth and that, that if, you wanted, if you wanted to follow truth, it actually put you at a weakness. And he said, this is not good and there's no one that can do something about it. Until you read the last half of verse 16. Then it says, then his own arm brought salvation. God's own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now who's the he that he's talking about? If God works salvation by his own arm and, the, and his own arm came and, and put on the righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation, who is that talking about? That's talking about Jesus, right? Well, Paul goes into great length about this. I'm going to read just a few verses for you from Romans because Romans is the great book to talk about justification, righteousness, and how God worked it. These are familiar words. These are words that sometimes can get confusing or, or they, it's, there's so much Paul packs into, into, into these sentences. I'm going to just read through them and invite you to pay careful attention. I'll try to read carefully and, and not so fast like I tend to talk. Romans chapter 3 because God said he was going to do it in Isaiah, but in Romans 3 we read about how he actually did it. This is what he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made plain or made clear or brought to the light. That righteousness was made uh, manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That word propitiation means he substituted. He put Jesus in there in our stead, in our place. God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That means the ones before Jesus came. Verse 26 says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, God might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in Isaiah, he said, I'm going to do it since there's no one that's going to work this out. There's no one that's going to be just. There's no one that's going to have equity. There's no one that's going to do what's right and true. I will work salvation by my own arm. When he comes, the Messiah, Jesus, when he comes, he will have a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. He will have a cloak of zeal. He will accomplish what he sent for. Jesus came and Paul, reflecting back, says that's exactly what happened. Is that God put forth his righteousness. His righteousness was Jesus Christ as a substitute for us. This is gospel 101. This is, this is salvation 101. This is basic theology 101. And yet, I'm telling you, don't jump past it because it is the breastplate of righteousness we have to put on. It's how we become right with God. It's the only way we become right with God. If we have to depend upon our own righteousness, like the scribes and the Pharisees, no one will enter the kingdom of God. But God has done this. He has worked it out. He himself sent his son, Jesus. He became the propitiation through his blood that is received by faith. Did you catch how many ways and times Paul said that it is by grace? It is a gift to us. It is by faith. It is for those who believe. It is so that God might be known as the just one and the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. 
That is exactly the hope that we have. Otherwise, we have none. It is the only hope that we have. There is no other. Now, all of that language I could have boiled down to one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it makes it so clear, so plain, does it so precisely, so concisely. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made him, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is it. It seems so basic and so simple, and I'm telling you, if you've tried to walk as a Christian, it's so incredibly difficult because we remain convinced in the foolishness of our thinking, in the foolishness of our heart, we remain convinced that we have something to offer, that it somehow depends on what we do or what we have to give or how we can participate in the salvation of our own souls, and we bring nothing to the table. God made Jesus to be sin, even though he knew no sin at all. He made him to be sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That is your defense. That is your defense. That is the only defense you have, by the way. When Satan comes a-tromping with his lies and his deception, which he is, and he will, and he's going to continue doing until Jesus puts him in the, in the grave forever, in the hole forever, not the grave, that's the wrong term. When he does, your and my only defense is, I have the righteousness of God when I'm in Christ. It's the only defense I have. I don't have any other defense. I'm not going to stop those in any other way. I'm not going to dispute that. I can't bring it. I can't say, but I've done that. No, I've done nothing. I can only hide myself in Jesus, which is why we have to come to this last part, because we can talk about uh, the truth of our hearts and the truth about righteousness, and we become convinced that we have to put on this righteousness. How do we do that? How do we put on righteousness? Well, I've already been telling you. I ended this place last week, and I told you I'm going to get there with every single piece of armor because the reality is every piece of armor is Jesus. Jesus is our defense. He's the only defense we have. So to put on righteousness is simply this, is to put on Jesus. You have no other defense. You will not stand against Satan otherwise. It won't happen. I'm guessing a few of us in this room have tried and have failed to stand on our own. We have to put on Jesus. Well, of course, we should talk about how to do that. Sometimes we get lost in flowery language or, again, I referred earlier to asking Jesus into our heart and we sometimes are left with, well, what does that even mean? Well, Romans 10, we could have read the book of Romans this morning, by the way, because it, is, it is the breastplate of righteousness, the book of Romans. It's chock full of Paul just laying out, here's what God did to make you right with him. Romans says this, we know, the verse, we, verse, we know verse 9 of chapter 10, but the next verse, I, I put the next verse up here, because it is with our heart that one believes and is justified. There's that word righteousness, dikaiusene. It is with the heart that one believes and is justified. It is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. It takes us believing in our heart that Jesus accomplished what the Bible says that Jesus accomplished for us. That he took upon, that God made him sin who knew no sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. That when I'm in Jesus, I am right with God. That's what it, it takes believing that God sent Jesus and what Jesus was sent to accomplish, he did accomplish. And I'm putting my faith and trust in that and that alone. I have no other hope. I have no other option. I have no other thing to cling to or hang on to. If I want my heart to be protected, to be right with God, the breastplate of righteousness is putting on Jesus, and that is putting my faith and trust in him continually, 
over and over and over. It is this that Paul was talking about. Let me just read those verses for you this morning because I think they're good verses for us. Philippians chapter three, starting in verse seven. He lists the things he had gained, but I'm just gonna start in verse seven because he says, whatever gain I had, Paul says in Philippians three, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That is the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, depends on you trusting Jesus of having won the victory for you. Of, ha- of being the victory. Not, it, it, was, it took place then, but of him continuing to be the victory for you. Walking in that. Now, we sometimes have this idea, and I think it's true, but we sometimes have this idea that when Paul is talking about forsaking all other things and getting rid of all those things, that he's talking about tangible things only. That he's, he, he hung his trophy wall. He, he, he took those, those decrees he had that he was a Benjaminite and that he was a Pharisee. That he took them and he burned them. That's true, maybe. But really what he's doing, what he's understanding what he's doing, is that he is forsaking the affections of his heart. For it wasn't the piece of paper that got him in trouble. It was that he hung his hopes on that. It was that he took his pride in that. Is that he got his identification from that. Is that he saw himself as being saved because of those things. The affections of his heart were what got him in trouble. Which is why your heart needs to be protected, Right? It's those affections, I think, is what Josh and Heidi were really addressing this morning. Because when you use the word affections of our heart, I think it brings into the discussion this word allegiance. That's why allegiance and faith and trust, they're really talking about the same things. We put our trust in Jesus, is to put our faith in Jesus, is to give our allegiance to Jesus. It's the affection of my heart needs to go to him more than anything else. Again, we could read, we could go back to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6 talks about the, the allegiances we have. He said, Paul says, don't you know that you're a slave to whatever you obey? You see, we're talking about, when we talk about putting on righteousness, we're talking about some, some, some tangible things that we should do to be right. No question. But before you get any of that stuff there, it's about who, we're, who we are. It's, it's about us as a person first, that we are hidden in Christ. And then out of that comes those things. That's what Paul's making, the point he's making in Romans chapter 6 is that when we put on Christ's righteousness, when we make that exchange, then we become obedient. We sometimes work that around, by the way. We sometimes want to become obedient first. We sometimes want to prove our obedience first. We sometimes say, well, this is what it means to be right by doing this and this and this and this, forgetting that we have to put on Jesus first. Because, let me just follow this up because I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're to put on Jesus and then this is what happens. Once we put on Jesus, we let him change the desires of our heart. We've tried so hard, haven't we, to change those desires ourselves? Over and over again. I'm telling you, that is exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. And unless our righteousness exceeds their righteousness, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We must put on Jesus Christ. We must be found in him. We must put our faith and our trust, give our allegiance to him, and then... We're not done yet. Then we have to allow him to change those desires. If you want the biblical term for that, that's called sanctification. 
We talked about justification, that's putting on Jesus. Sanctification is allowing him to change those desires. And I'm telling you, that's really where the rub is because many of us would receive Christ. Many of us, if that's all there was to it, we'd say, oh yes, we see, you see it when you go into foreign lands and missions. We saw it when we were in India. They'll, just, they'll receive Jesus, he'll protect them. It's another God, they'll put him right on the shelf right next to everything else. It's in allowing him to change the desires of her heart that it starts tearing at those things that we find that we really have wanted and loved but they have got to change to put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus meant when he said, but seek first his righteousness, or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's a priority thing, isn't it? It's that as those affections and those desires of our heart are changed, we want to be right with God more than anything else. We want to please Jesus more than anything else. We want to put first what is important in God's kingdom more than anything else. Again, it's the discussion of allegiance. It's why there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's why there's one group of people, those that are saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that supersedes every other group of people and division that you could possibly make. Politically, ethnically, racially, geographically, doesn't matter. It's superseded by our allegiance to Jesus because we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else comes after that. Jesus must change the desires of our hearts so that we no longer rejoice when those who hurt us suffer. So that we no longer want to retaliate when we are hurt. So that we no longer want to fulfill the lusts of our flesh. So that we no longer are discontent and long for and yearn for things that we don't have so that we no longer begrudge those people who have those things. You see, that got a lot more real really fast, right? Because those are the things we actually struggle with. Those are the affections that our heart actually has, that we want those things. And when we put on the armor the breastplate of righteousness and our heart is right and we put on Jesus so that we're protected from the, from the schemes of the enemy, he can no longer tap on those things and say, see what they have over there? Do you see what they did to you? You gonna let that happen? You gonna stand for that? Or are you gonna protect your rights? Are you gonna fight for what's yours? As he changes those desires, you see that what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning, when he said these things that we call the Beatitudes, the blessings, the things that God blesses, you see beginning emerging us a whole different picture. This is one of them he named, by the way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You see, when Jesus changes those desires, then we begin to hunger and thirst to be right with God. And we will be satisfied. What an incredible promise, by the way. We will be satisfied. The implication is that when that's not what we're hungering and thirsting for, we will not actually be satisfied at all. Have you found that to be true in your life? When you're yearning for the wrong things, you can never be satisfied. You can never be filled. It's never enough. There's always more that you need. And somehow when you hunger and thirst to do what's right with God and be right with Him and walk in holiness and purity before Him, there's satisfaction there. There's fulfillment there. It's right because God has changed the desires of your heart. Now, I want you to see this, that Paul has actually already said all this. Because when you 
made the transition from what we believe to who we are and what we do as people within the church. He does all that. And he says, that, actually, it's where I took the title from this whole series from. He says that we should walk as children of light. And he follows that up with a parenthetical statement. This is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right. That's the word, dikaios, right and true. Interesting that he covered the belt of truth and then the breastplate of righteousness. Right? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. What a difference our defense against the enemy makes when we as individuals begin to put on the breastplate of righteousness. When we say, this is not my battle. I'm hiding myself in Jesus and he is righteousness to me from God. He's the one who justifies me because God sent him to that. He, that he, would, he took my place. He's the defense I have. I'm protecting my heart by putting my, my heart inside of Jesus and letting him change those desires. And then we do that as families so that we begin to pursue the things that Christ would have us pursue. We don't spend all of our time watching entertainment that doesn't glorify God or engaging in activities that sucks all of our money and our time away and does no furthering of godly principles in our life. But we spend time looking each other in the eyes and building relationships between our moms and dads and their children and loving and caring for each other. Because that's what the kingdom of God is about. That's the harvest of righteousness. Or what if we start doing that as a church and we stop pursuing the things that we think will make us feel good when we gather for worship? Or we stop pursuing what other churches are doing. Man, that seems really successful for them, so we should start doing that in our church. And maybe we should, I don't know. But it's not about that. It's about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will be added to us. Where we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where we see that it's worth more for us to spend time praying and seeking God's face and his will for us in our life than it is in catching up on the latest sports news or the latest weather or the latest thing I saw on TikTok or the latest thing I saw on Pinterest or I don't know. Or what I posted on Facebook the other day or did you see that conversation as part of it and how I really defended my faith really well? We are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil individually, as families. But again, I remind you, the letter to the Ephesians was written to a church, to a group of believers. And we're to stand firm as a group of believers by putting on the belt of truth and by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by reminding ourselves that Jesus is our righteousness. None is righteous. No, not one. Jesus and Jesus alone. By reminding ourselves often Friend, hide yourself in Jesus. Hide yourself in Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to satisfy the desires of your flesh. That's Romans 13, 14, by the way. It's a great verse to memorize and remind each other of. To put first the kingdom of God, to gently and with love and with humility and with tears remind ourselves that when things seem to go, start going off the rails in, in each other's lives to say, I don't think you're putting the kingdom of God first. I don't think righteousness is being lifted up in you. I don't think Jesus is being put first. I don't think you're allowing him to change the desires of your heart and being open to them pointing out the same in you because it's probably true that there's a few desires of my own heart that Jesus hasn't quite got a hold of yet. 
I haven't surrendered to him yet. I haven't put to death yet. It's about being real enough and vulnerable enough with each other that we even know those things about each other. Right? How many people you come to church with that from all you could tell, they're as righteous as anybody and everybody. And you have no idea. You have no idea. And they don't know that about you either. That's not how it should be, by the way. That's not the pictures painted in the book of Acts about the early church, how they knew each other. They interacted with each other. They lived life with each other. They broke bread together. They shared all things with each other. And they said, oh, I have it. You need it. Here it is. None of that happens when our hearts are full of their own flesh or if our hearts are being led by where we're at. Let me just pray. That's the best way to close the message. Why don't you pray with me? God, thank you so much. There's so much that was said from your word this morning. There's some words I added myself, and I, I pray, God, that your word would be lifted high, that your spirit and the work that he is doing here in our midst would be the, the reality, the truth, would be the, the impetus, would be the oomph that we feel, would be the, the, the thing that moves us, the thing that changes us, not, not my words, not, not the compelling way that I've tried to say it or not the passion I might have tried to convey with what I have to say, but you, Holy Spirit, would be the, the mechanism, would be the person, would be the living, active agent in us that is drawing us and helping us to see that what you have said in your word about me and my heart is right and I have no hope hope apart from you, Jesus, but I praise you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, because you did come. You be, did become righteousness for us. You took on sin even though you knew no sin so that in you, when we are in you, we too might be counted as the righteousness of God, and that blows me away, Jesus. I cannot fathom why you would do such a thing for me, but your word says that you did, and this morning again, what feels like for the thousandth time, and if it's true for all of us, it, it, amen, I hope it is. What feels like it, for, I've done it so many times, and yet this morning again, I just want to cry out to you and say, I believe it, Jesus. I believe it. I receive it. You did what you said you would do when you came, and you lived among us, and you were rejected by your creation, and you were mistreated horribly, and you went to the cross, and you took the punishment of my sin, of my wretched awfulness, of my deceitful heart. You took it upon you, Jesus, so that I might become right and free and pure and just before the God who is just. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a small thing. Thank you. Well, it comes out so easily. And yet you've convinced me this morning afresh that it is absolutely the reality of my heart and of what you've done for me. And I want to walk in you, Jesus. I want to put you on. I want to believe with my heart so that I might be justified. And I ask that you would continue this work of sanctification in me and in us. That, our, that we would allow you, that we would not close our fists, but we would allow you to change those desires. I have no doubt there's not a single person sitting here today. This is part of my theology, and it's going to come through, but I have no doubt there's, there's not a person sitting here today, Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you can touch and say, this is a desire that you have not turned over to me yet. And God, I'm so grateful that you know when the time is right. So I'm not, I'm not asking you to do something you, you don't already do, but I'm asking that today our response, knowing this, our response is, search me, God. Try me. See my, try my wicked heart. See if there be any way inside of me that's crooked. 
that I might confess, repent, be made new, and walk in the righteousness that you prepared for me, that I might securely have this breastplate fastened on that is Jesus Christ, my righteousness. And I give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' precious and powerful and holy and victorious and magnificent name. Amen.